Amen. You know, that's more than a song this morning. That's truth. That is truth. And that's not just an imagined truth. That is a truth that I have proven. And I'll bet there's a few of you in this room this morning, you've proven that as well. That he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He won't fail us. And well, what's something we have to offer this world? Think about that. We have that to offer the world. We can offer them something that will not fail them in a world right now where everything is failing them. Everything they've put their hope and faith and trust in, institutions of this world, finances of this world, all of that is failing us now. And yet we have to offer this world a God that will never fail them. It would almost seem like we would be running to do it. You know, if I was on a ship and I saw someone out there drowning and I was holding a life raft or if I was holding a life ring, I would not hesitate to throw it. Why? Because I see their need, I have the answer to their need, and I know what I have is going to meet their need. I would throw it in a heartbeat, and that is our world today. Our world's drowning. They're going under. They're slipping under the waves rapidly. This country's going down. We have the answer, something that will not fail them. Let's be sure we share it. Amen. What a wonderful, wonderful song. Thank you, Brother Bryce. Thank you for helping us in our music and appreciate what God is doing through you and your ministry. Let's turn to the Old Testament this morning. Jeremiah chapter number 18. Familiar passage. Jeremiah chapter number 18. When you get there, if you don't mind, let's stand together. Stretch our legs just one more time. Jeremiah chapter number 18. I never intend on preaching long, but you just never know, okay? So stretch your legs one more time. It may be the last for a while. Jeremiah 18. And uh, uh, verse number one, we'll pick up there and see what God has for us. Jeremiah 18, 1, the Bible says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord. By the way, aren't you glad we can hear from the Lord? Aren't you glad we go to his word? He has something for us, and his Holy Spirit has something for us. I'm thankful for that this morning. The Bible says, Saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there will I cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Let's stop there. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that you have something to say to us. Lord, not just through your word that you've preserved, but Father, through the preaching of your word and the speaking of your Holy Spirit. I pray that, Father, we would hear what you have to say to us today. I pray our hearts would be open and that, Lord, our attention uh, would be attentive, Father, to exactly what you desire us to leave here today with. I I pray that we'd not get distracted by cares of the world. I pray that, Father, burdens of our heart this morning would not keep us and hinder us from hearing, receiving, and responding to your word today. Thank you for those that have already been saved this week. We pray more would be saved today. Father, I pray the save would be challenged, but Father, I pray we'd yield our will to you even now as we pray that, Lord, your work would be accomplished in us, and we pray your blessings on the message. Give us liberty, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you watch the news, and uh, I'm sure some of us probably do a little bit, maybe read the news, 
I know it's not enjoyable much anymore to watch and to see what is going on in our world. Uh, quite depressing after a while if you watch too much of it, but I try to read a little bit. That way we can stay up to date on what's going on in the world and see how that is relevant to us and how we can help our people, uh, be a blessing to our people. And this past week, there was a lot of conversation uh, based on our president's trip over to the Middle East uh, not only to see Israel, but to see uh, uh, the Palestinians and the, Saudi, the Saudis that are over there. And uh, I, like a lot of you, after I see those things, hear those things, immediately begin thinking about how those things work together and how God may be working in these events to uh, bring about the last of the last days and ultimately the blessed hope of the coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and I'm ready for him to come, but I found myself doing something that maybe you're not guilty of, but I have a sneaking feeling that probably you are. That when events begin happening in our world, drastic events taking place, uh, you know, cataclysmic events taking place in nature, uh, political events, geopolitical events in our world taking place, all the confusion and animosity, uh, things taking place, we begin to try to figure out what God is doing through that. And we try to begin to predict the coming of the Lord, how long it may be. And as I was reading the news the other day and, and listening to what our president had to say, you have to listen hard uh, as I listened to what he was having to say, uh, trying to intertwine it and figure it out, you know, uh, trying to figure out what God is thinking. What a futile task for mortal man, by the way, for us as mortal men to try to understand an infinite almighty God and try to predict exactly what he is doing in the world today. And as I sat there, I began to realize how much time had passed in trying to predict and trying to figure out how this is working together. And yes, this is what's happening in scripture. And the Holy Spirit convicted me a little bit. Uh, convicted me about the fact that I was spending a lot more time trying to predict when the Lord might come uh, and how much time I was wasting not preparing for when the Lord does come. Anybody guilty of that this morning? Begin to think about how often in Scripture and compare how much time our Lord gave to helping us predict His coming in Scripture and then how much time the Lord devoted to preparing us for his coming in Scripture. Uh, if you'll take just a little bit of time and begin to read through the Word of God, you'll find that uh, it is overwhelmingly the scales are tipped in favor of our Father wanting us to be prepared for his coming more so than us predicting his coming. And by the way, whether we figure it out or not, it's not going to change one thing one bit. It's already set. He knows when it's happening. The most important thing is we be prepared. Think about these scriptures, if you will. Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, the Bible says, Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Now, what is that verse about? It's not about predicting the return of Christ. It's about being prepared for the return of Christ. And by the way, he's coming. He's coming. It's just as real as the nose on your face. It's just as real as you know your name. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to split the eastern sky. One day, I believe, very, very soon. And whether or not we get it right, do you know when we get to heaven, we're not going to sit around and say, I got it right, you got it wrong. You say, how do you know that? Because we're not going to be in a flesh body anymore. You know, the flesh body wants to say, I got it right, you got it wrong, you know, and all that, and we, all things we argue about. We're not even going to care anymore when we get there, but we will care whether or not we were prepared. 
Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, be found unto praise and honor and glorying at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, notice what that verse is all about. That verse is all about being prepared for the appearing. All right, that the trying of our faith and the preparations of ourself are for the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew, we read about the parable of the ten virgins. It's not about predicting his return. It's about preparing for his return. My Sunday school class this morning, we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. The Bible talks about our spirit, our soul, and our bodies being be preserved blameless unto what? The coming of the Lord. And so time and time again, we read in Scripture about how God is trying to help us be prepared for his return far more than he is helping us predict when he is going to come. Now, could I say this this morning? I believe that we are more ready for him to return than we are ready for his return. All right? We are more ready for him to return than we are ready for him to return. So what do you mean by that? Well, look, I'm ready for him to get here. All right? I am ready for him to get here. I'm tired of dealing with life sometimes. Can anybody agree with me? I'm just tired of dealing with all this. Tired of dealing with folks that, uh, that have no interest in spiritual things. All right? I'm not talking about you. Well, I'm not talking about most of you for, for sure. Okay? I'm ready to get out of here. And I am ready for his return. But I fear we are more ready for his return than we are ready for his return. Meaning we're not prepared I believe the truth of the matter is this morning, if it were today, we would be mostly found not ready. We're not what we ought to be. We're not ready. I don't believe we're ready. Matter of fact, I don't believe you look at Christianity across America, across the world. I don't believe we're ready. I'm excited about his return, and I'm looking forward to his return, but I'm not ready. Things are not where they need to be. Uh, yesterday evening, I put my wife and daughter and Brother AJ's wife uh, and, and his daughter and son on an airplane, and uh, they lifted off for Los Angeles, and they're in Los Angeles. Pray for them uh, in Los Angeles, speaking about people that need the Lord. Can I tell you, I'm ready for her return. I was ready before she got in the airport. It's not good that man be alone, <laughs> all right? It's not good. I miss my wife. I miss my daughter. Everywhere in my house, we kind of have a family uh, tradition. Everywhere in my house, I'm finding notes from my wife and my daughter. They're everywhere, from the little twisty thing on the lamp to the milk jug in the refrigerator. I have notes from my daughter. No, it was on the thermostat last night. It's funny. They know where to put the notes, the thermostat, the refrigerator, and the remote control. They knew it. They didn't put any in my Bible, okay? They just put them all on those places right there. They knew where I would find them. No, they didn't put one in my Bible. Man, I miss them. I miss my wife. I was a basket case emotionally. Me and Brother AJ were only back from the airport yesterday, and we were just like a support group encouraging each other because we are just like lost without our, our wives and our children. And I am ready for her to return. I'm ready. Look, I'm ready for that plane to lift off on Saturday from LA. I'm going to be at the airport in New Orleans with bells on to pick them up. I'm looking forward. I'm ready for them to return. But can I tell you, I'm not ready for them to return. Say, so what do you mean? Well, Ms. Brooke described it well in Sunday school class this morning. My living room looks like a dorm room right now. I slept on the couch. You got Coke cans, and I, ha I made myself brownies last night. I had Taco Bell last night. It looks pretty rough in there. I'm ready for her to return, but I'm not ready for her to return, all right? 
because the happy, happy reunion wouldn't be happy very long. I believe that's what it is with our Lord. I believe we're ready for him to return, but we're not ready for his return. We're not prepared if he came back today. We're not where we need to be. And the reality is this this morning. In spite of all that God's done to prepare us, he's given us a written word. He's given us the preaching of truth and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. He did all of that to prepare us for his return. All right? There's no reason we shouldn't be ready. He's given us too much to prepare us for his return. And yet in spite of all of those things, we're not ready. We're not ready. Now, why is that? Well, I believe it's this morning, the simple fact. The answer is not hard. It's not complicated. We resist and are resistant to the will of God in our life. When he makes his will known, we are resistant to us. Now, this morning, we're going to see an illustration in in Jeremiah chapter 18 about a vessel that was not ready. It was not ready. But thanks be to God... It got ready. And if you're not ready for his return, whether through salvation this morning or as a child of God, you're not ready or who you need to be, thanks be to God, if you're not ready, you can be made ready. And this potter is going to show us three truths this morning about how we become ready uh, for the master's return. Now, when we look at chapter number 18, we see three indispensable qualities of how a vessel gets prepared. Three indispensable qualities of how a vessel gets prepared. By the way, the preparation, if you'll notice, the Bible says, look down to verse 4, the last part, as it seemed good to the potter. Being prepared for the Lord's return, it means that you are what is good to the potter, right? Not what you think is good, not what you feel is good. Not what you identify as good. It's what is good to the potter. All that will matter at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ is that you are good to the potter. That's all that's going to matter. It doesn't matter how you feel and what you think and what you've done. All that will matter is that your life is good to the potter. What did Paul tell Timothy? He says, don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life that you may please him that's called you to be a soldier. What did Paul tell Timothy? Hey, just live to be good to the potter. Live and identify by what's good to the potter. And this morning, chapter 18 shows us exactly how we can be prepared when the potter does come. Amen. I want to show you the virtues of a vessel today. Three virtues of a vessel. And somewhere in here, I hope you find yourself and you find yourself on the way to being prepared for the Lord's return. Let's look at these virtues of a vessel. There's three of them right here in chapter number 18, and I think the Lord wants to help us if we'll allow him to do his work. Now, what is he comparing his people to? We look down, the Bible says, verse number three, he went down, he wrought a work on the wheels. He is comparing his people to what? To clay. Now, you think about that. He's comparing us, his people then, we his people now, he's comparing us to clay. Now you think about clay, we have a lot of it here in the south, a little different from the Middle East, but we know what clay is. Clay is useless and basically worthless until something acts upon it. That clay is useless, it's worthless, it's valueless, and it sits there on the wheel, and then the potter acts upon it. And then suddenly it becomes useful, beautiful, and valuable, but only after the potter gets his hands on it. Now, what is he trying to show us? 
He's trying to show us we're the clay. And we sit useless and valueless until God gets his hands on us. Thanks be to God, he wants to take us from where we are to where we need to be. Now watch what the Bible says, verse, verse 3. The Bible says, behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. That word wrought means he pressed or squeezed. He takes that valueless, worthless clay, that useless clay, and he begins pressing it and squeezing it. This is the first virtue of a vessel in order to make it ready for the master, number one, I want you to notice it's moldable. It is moldable. There's got to be a willingness of the clay to be influenced by the potter. Can I say this morning, I believe the reason most of us would say this morning in our heart of hearts that the reason we're not ready for the Lord's return, we're not prepared for the Lord Jesus Christ to break the eastern sky. I believe the number one reason this morning we're not prepared, we're not the vessel we should be, is because we are not moldable. We will not allow God to put his will upon our life. That's why our lives are of little value. That's why our lives are of little spiritual beauty. We're just a clump, a lump of clay. Because we refuse to allow God to bring his will and to conform our life to his will. Now, look, we all like the idea of the will of God, okay? You're in church on Sunday morning. The idea is you got at least a little bit of level of spirituality, and you like the idea of God's will for your life. And we say, I just want God's will for my life. And hey, that's a good first step. The problem is we like the idea of God's will, but we don't like the intrusion of God's will, all right? We like the idea of finding God's perfect will for our life and finding the one that God made for our life that we should spend the rest of our life with and find the, God, the, the job that God has for our life and the church that God has for our life. And the idea of God's will is great, but you understand this. The will of God is intrusive. God's will is going to press and squeeze upon your life to mold it and shape it into the will of the potter. By the way, that's all that's going to matter when he comes back is that your life pleases the will of the potter. And yet when he comes to us on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday night, on a Wednesday, maybe you're reading your Bible before work and the Holy Spirit begins to press and he begins to squeeze. You're like, boy, that doesn't feel good. And all of a sudden, God begins to shape and God begins to mold. And we're like, God, I don't like that shape. God, I don't want to be that. God, I want to be this. And we push the Holy Spirit away. We push the potter away. Why? We're not moldable. We don't want God to change up our life and who we are and what we want. And oh, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and breaks those eastern clouds, we're going to be sitting there that lump of little value and of little beauty to the will of God because we were unmoldable. Can I tell you what's sad about that? We need to look no further than the book of Genesis. You go all the way back, chapter 1, and you see what God did with a whole lot of nothing. Go back to Genesis 1, and look what God did with a whole lot of nothing. You ever feel like a whole lot of nothing? All right? I do all the time. All right? Sometimes you make me feel like a whole lot of nothing. No, sometimes you feel that way. Man, I just feel like a whole lot of nothing. I'm just a lump of clay. Thanks be to God. He can do a lot with a whole lot of nothing. See, how do you know? Genesis chapter 1. What does the Bible say? Verse 2. The Bible says the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. That's us before God. 
Our life is void. It has no form. It has no purpose. We are just sitting in darkness. And then all of a sudden, what happened? God spoke. God moved upon that big lump of nothing and turned it into a perfect world. I wonder what God could do with you. You think, well, you don't understand. I'm past the prime of my life. My hair's falling out. Mine is too. And you know what? I'm just not eloquent and I'm just not intelligent or I may not. Whatever your excuse is this morning. Look, God can do a whole lot with a whole lot of nothing if that whole lot of nothing will just surrender to the will of the potter. Now look, you're not going to be able to stand before God and say, God, I didn't do anything for you because I'm just not smart. God, I didn't do anything for you because I'm not talented. God, I didn't do anything for you because I didn't have any money. God says, I could have done so much with you, but you had a hands-off policy. Don't touch me. Leave me alone. There's going to be a lot of lumps of clay walk out of this building this morning. I'll promise you that. All over this country, lumps of clay are going to walk right out of here when they could have been a vessel, but the problem is they were not moldable. I know who I want to be and what I want to do. I know the shape that I need to be in. The Bible says something about that in Romans, doesn't it? Not chapter 9, verse 20. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? You know, the vessels don't speak. The vessels don't speak. They just submit themselves to the will of the potter. I believe this morning we sit unprepared for the return of Christ simply because we're not moldable. And yet we see this vessel being made meat for the master's use because it was moldable. I read an interesting passage last night that I didn't think would apply to this at first, but then began seeing how it all worked out. In Mark chapter 6, we know the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Stick with me here. The feeding of the 5,000 that were there obviously was feeding the 5,000 plus that were there. He was giving them a meal. They were hungry, giving them something. But you know, Christ also had an ulterior motive to that. So how do you know that? Well, not long after, they get in the boat, and they're rowing across the sea, and the wind was contrary to them. It was hard. And then here comes Christ walking across the water, and now they get fearful. They get fearful. Listen to what the Bible says. Interesting reference here. Mark chapter 6, verse 52. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Now watch. What was he trying to do through the miracle of the loaves and the fishes? He was feeding the people, yes, but he was preparing them for what was about to happen. He was preparing them. They didn't realize it. Now, watch. Why were they not prepared when they got out there on the water? The Bible says their heart was hardened. It was unmoldable. They missed out on what God was trying to shape them into. They missed out on the preparation. Why? Because their heart was hard. We said, I wonder why God doesn't do something with me. It's because your heart is hard. You can't mold crusty Play-Doh. Come on. We've all been there. Some of you have probably even eaten it. Salty, isn't it? Probably causes cancer. Probably why America's got so much cancer. We eat Play-Doh. You leave that lid cracked open on that Play-Doh and you go back to mold it. Man, it's nasty. You can't do nothing with it. You throw it in the garbage. Why? It's dry. It's gotten hard. It's not moldable anymore. All right? The reason we're not prepared for what God has planned is because our hearts are hard. We're not moldable. And that's why God's not using us and God can't use us because we're hardened. Our heart is hardened. 
And a second century Christian said this. Boy, I put the whole quote in my notes. It is amazing. Listen to this. It is not you who shape God. It is God that shapes you. If then you are the work of God, await the hand of the artist who does all things in due season. Offer the potter your heart, soft and tractable, and keep the form in which the artist has fashioned you. Let your clay be moist, lest you grow hard and lose the imprint of the potter's fingers. I wonder how often people can see the fingerprints of God in your life. You ever met somebody, you can just tell God has had his hand all over them. Those are the people that when they pray, I peek just to see if Jesus is standing there because it sounds like they're talking right to him. They're talking to a close friend. Do you know why those people, you can tell they have God all over them? Because they're moldable. The fingerprints of God are all over their life. You hear it in their words, the fingerprints of God. You see it in their actions and how they live. God has his hand all over their life. They're moldable. Folks, I don't know about you. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, I want to have his fingerprints all over my life. People could tell who I belong to, but it begins with, number one, you've got to be moldable, moldable. Number two, look down, if you will. The Bible says in verse four, this is an important part. Stick with me, okay? The vessel that he made of clay was marred, was marred in the hand of the potter. This is amazing when you read this passage that here's this vessel, it's coming together, it's coming together. And then suddenly as the wheel spins, he has the two little bowls of water and he takes his hands and he's smoothing out that vessel and smoothing out that vessel and it's starting to take shape. And then suddenly the potter's fingers feel or detect something. There's something rough there. There's a rock, a pebble, an imperfection that is there. And suddenly that imperfection is threatening what the potter's trying to do. Could I tell you this morning, oftentimes when you make the decision to be moldable and God begins to work, don't be surprised if suddenly an imperfection appears that threatens to jeopardize what the shepherd is trying to do. But here's what's amazing. The Bible says in verse four, it was marred in the hand of the potter so that he made it again, another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. So when there was something wrong, something was detected. Now look, it wasn't taking over the pot. It was just one spot that was threatening the integrity of it, all right? And so suddenly when that problem was found, he molded it again. He removed that imperfection. This is the second and possibly one of the most important virtues of a vessel. Notice number two, it was mendable. Not only was it moldable, it was mendable. I can tell you from personal experience in my walk with God, I'll make the decision to allow God to have his will and have his way in my life. I'll surrender to that. And God begins molding and God begins shaping. And the process of that molding and shaping and the vessel that he wants me to be, suddenly a mar is found, a blemish, an imperfection is found. And that imperfection has to be taken out. That imperfection has to be removed. But sometimes I get attached to those imperfections. 
Sometimes what God wants to remove, that mar that's jeopardizing the integrity of the vessel, that which God wants to remove, I'm kind of partial to it. But God, wait a minute. God, 99% of my vessel's good. It's just this one little area. But that one little area is jeopardizing the entire will of the potter. And so it's at that point that if I truly want to be prepared, a vessel meet for the master's use, prepared for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have to be willing not just to be moldable, I have to be mendable. Okay. Okay, God, there's a part of me that's not right. There's a part of me that's broken. There's a part of me that's marred. And God, I I need you to pull out what is unsuitable. I believe this morning many of us will not be ready when the Lord returns because we're not mendable. We have an unwillingness to give up what's marring our vessel. Now here's the good news. The shepherd knows all too well what he's doing. I may not be able to see the imperfection, but the shepherd, oh, he's sensitive to it. And he knows where it's at. And all of a sudden he tries to go in there and pull that out. But we have to be willing to allow him to do that. And if we're not willing to submit to that, we're not going to be ready when the Lord comes back. We're going to be there insufficient with all of our flaws that God tried to prepare us against. Why? We're not, simply not mendable. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Listen to what the Bible says. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up in you up trouble you and thereby be defiled. Notice what he says there. Looking diligently. What does that mean? We're looking at the vessel, paying close attention to the vessel. Why? Because you don't want the vessel to be defiled. He says you don't want something in there that's going to jeopardize the integrity of it. And what was the thing he mentioned in verse number 15? Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. I believe with all of my heart So many Christians this morning will not be ready when he comes because we have a root of bitterness. We got hurt. We were wronged. Maybe we were maligned. And we're holding on to that. Yes, you were hurt. Yes, you were the victim. Yes, you were maligned. But folks, can I tell you something this morning? The potter can still make something out of you if you're willing to allow the potter to take out what's, uh, what's robbing you of the integrity of what he wants you to be. But you've got to be willing to let go of that that has sprung up in you. Listen, we live in a country today in 2022 in a society that celebrates brokenness. Yes. We do. Look, if you're broken this morning, if you're hurt, uh, if you have been trespassed against, look, I'm not glorifying that at all, and I'm not putting down on that, all right? But understand this. The Father can take the brokenness and make it anew if we're willing to let go of the brokenness. But the reason we're not going to be prepared when the Lord Jesus comes back is because he points that out to us. He says, hey, you're holding that against them. Hey, I know you were hurt. I know you were wounded. And it's real, but you've got to let go of that. Why? I'm trying to make you something that's going to be pleasing to me when I come back. But you've got to let go of that. We hold on to stuff that's holding us back. Look, it could be immorality this morning. You could have a secret sin in your life. Can I tell you, it may be secret to me, but it's not secret to the potter. That potter, oh, his hands are so sensitive as that wheel goes around and it goes around. He can tell any imperfection. He knows when something's not right there. And he points it out to you. Why? To rub your face in it? No, because he wants you to be a vessel unto honor. But you got to be mendable. 
Our problem today is we're mad and we're going to stay that way about something. And we're not mendable. We're not fixable. Somebody crossed us. Somebody wronged us. Whether it's pain or pride, no matter what it is this morning, whatever you're holding on to, Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Get it out of there. Get rid of it. Why? It's marring your vessel. So how do you know? After a while, you can see it. It'll mar your vessel. It'll mar your visage. David said the Lord was the health of his countenance. Something's in there. Do you know sometimes... I'll be back in my office preparing to preach. And the Holy Spirit will have the audacity to say that was for me. I'm like, no, that's not how this works. I'm back there loading the clip, getting ready to preach, okay? That's a hypothetical. Don't call the cops. Back there loading the clip, you know, getting ready, studying, praying, getting ready. And all of a sudden, I look at one of those rounds the Holy Spirit puts in there, and it's got my name on it. What? What? I ain't got none of that in my life. I'm the potter. I know. I see it. I know it. And you know it. And the longer you hold on to that, it's marring your vessel and you're not going to be ready. You're not going to be ready. All that will matter one day is when the trump of God sounds, I'll promise you, your priorities are going to line up instantaneously. Instantaneously. Everything is going to be lined up right. The only problem is there's no time anymore to change anything. You're going to think as clear as you ever have in your life. You're going to be spiritual instantaneously. And suddenly you realize all the Mars in the vessel you held on to. And you're not ready. You're not ready. Why? You weren't mendable. You weren't mendable. What did Paul tell Timothy? He says, purge yourself. Purge yourself. Then you'll be what? A vessel unto honor. Where do these Mars come from? I'll give you this and I'll give you the last point. Boy, amazing study. I'm studying this out for about two weeks now. Studying on how these potters make these vessels. And I have one in my office. I should have brought it in here. What's amazing is before the clay ever hits the wheel, they have these troughs. And they'll fill these troughs with the clay and they'll add some water. And that potter begins walking down the clay. He walks it down, walks it down. He says, how do you know that? Give you a scripture. That way you'll believe me, Okay. Isaiah 41, 25, he shall come upon princes as upon mortar and as the potter treadeth clay. The potter is walking, walking it down, walking it down. Has all these clumps, you know. He's in there kind of like one of those grape people that stand on the grapes, you know, stomping out all the clumps, stomping out all the clumps. Potter's walking it down, walking it down, walking it down, walking it down. He'll take that clump and he'll put it up on the wheel and begin turning it. Turning it, turning it, turning it, turning it. And as he starts making it and the pot begins to appear, we can all visualize that, right? All right? We still all have an imagination. We can visualize. There's a, there's a wheel up here. Just pay close attention. It can be whatever kind of pot you want, but let's just pay attention. Here it goes, round and round, pot's being shaped. And then all of a sudden, one of those clumps that didn't get treaded under, a dry clump is in the side of that pot. And it's got to come out. It's not meat for the vessel's use. It's got to come out. As I was preparing, boy, I thought to myself, how many times in my life has the mar in my vessel been something I've not placed underneath the potter's feet? Something that hasn't been treading under by the potter yet. There's things in my life that, you know, these are, but God, these are mine. God says, no, I've got to squish that out. I've got I to get that lump out of it. That's going to mar your vessel. And, and I'm like, no, God, 
I wonder this morning, could what's marring your vessel, making you not ready for when Christ returns, be something you've yet to put under God? Something that God had, does not have lordship over in your life? You better put it under him quick. You better put it under him quick. I used to tell our kids on Wednesday night class, I was a youth pastor at my dad's church and had a Wednesday night class. You know, the Bible says every good and perfect gift cometh down from above. And we looked at the blessings of God like rain. I used to tell them all the time, God's blessings can't rain on anything that's above God. If you want God's blessings to come down on it, it's gotta be under God. You want God to bless, hey, you want God to bless your kids, put them under God. Put them under God. So what do you mean? Put God at the top. Not your kids. Put God at the top. Do you know why God blessed the United States of America? What does it say? One nation under God. We were under God and we got the blessings of God and the good gifts and the, 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 the priceless gifts came down from him and then all of a sudden America became prideful and elevated ourselves above God and now we're drying up on the vine. The blessings have ceased. Why? We're no longer under God. Do you know what's marring your vessel this morning? Something you will not put under God. And that's why you're not mendable this morning. The only hope, our only hope is to be moldable, number two, and then be mendable. And finally, notice what the Bible says. Look down and I'll be done. Verse four, and the vessel that was made in the, uh, of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter too. Now watch this last part. The Bible says to make it, to make it. So first off, the first virtue of a vessel, you better be moldable, be moldable. Young person, listen to me, be moldable. Be moldable. Don't harden your neck. The Bible says you'll suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. Don't be hard-hearted. Let God mold you. Number two, be mendable. If something's wrong, let God fix it. Just open yourself up. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Hey, God, if there's a mar in there, show me. I'm going to get rid of it today. I'm going to put it under your feet. But then the Bible says in the last part of verse 4, he made a vessel good to the potter to make it. Now, I want you to get your imagination back on, okay? One more time and we're done. Some of you, it's killing you. I can tell you are straining. It's been a long time since you imagined anything. This vessel has taken shape, has it not? It's moldable. It's been mendable. And now that vessel's taking shape. And it looks like a vessel. Is it finished? It's not finished. It looks right, but it's not finished. It's got all the appearance, but it's not finished. Why? There's one more step. The last virtue of a vessel and I'll explain, it's makeable. It's makeable. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, the process of completion. When it comes to pottery, there is literally a make or break moment. You take that and you mold it and you make it and you mend it and suddenly you have a beautiful looking vessel that is there, but that vessel can't hold water. It's not made yet. It hasn't reached the make or break point. What is the make or break point? It's the fire. And it's the furnace. Do you know why so many of us are not going to be ready when he returns? We didn't mind being molded. We didn't mind being mended. And our life gives the appearance of a vessel. But we're not ready because we would never go through the fire for the will of God for our life. That's why we're not going to be ready. When it came to the point where I have to go through difficulty and spiritual adversity in the will of God for my life, listen, we tuck tail and run and we get out of the will of God and we sit there and we look like a vessel, but we are useless because we wouldn't be made because we wouldn't go through the fire. That's why we're not ready. We see trouble coming, we run from it. 
I was at camp the other night with our teenagers, so excited, hear their testimonies and pray. I have, Mom and Dad, you have one more camp this week, last one. Pray for them this week. Got a lot of boys down there at man camp. Uh, Going to have a good week. But I was down there for Thursday night, and our teenagers had testimony time. And I heard several teenagers say something that encouraged my heart, and I'm praying for them. They says, I'm, I believe God would have me to be a better leader. I want to be a better leader in our youth group. Man, I was encouraged by that. But then all of a sudden, there was a hollow spot in the pit of my stomach, knowing what it's going to cost them to be a leader. Being a leader is going to cost you something. You can't lead from in the pack. You have to get out front of the pack. That's what You can't lead from behind. A leader has to separate themselves from the pack. And oh, can I tell you, separating yourself from the pack, coming out from among them and leading the pack, oh, you're going to go through some fire. Taking a stand, being an example, living right, trying to live by the word of God when nobody else is, you're going to go through the fire. But oh, that's how you get ready. I believe this morning we have too many young people, moms and dads alike. We've been shaped, but we're sitting. We look good, we look like a vessel, but we can't hold water spiritually because we're unwilling to go through the fire. That's why you're not going to be ready. You're going to look good when he comes. You're going to look like a teapot or whatever the vessel is you have imagined in your head. You're going to look like it, but you're useless until you go through the fire. Do you know, what did Job say? Job says, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job says, I'm going to go through this fire. And oh, did Job go through the fire. Do you know what God was doing? Job understood God was making him. Job says, I'm going to come out of the fire something useful and something valuable. That's why, look, not being mean, just telling the truth. I think behind the pulpit is a great place to tell the truth. Amen? That's why most Christians are useless. We're useless. We have no value to the will of God. Why? Because all we're interested in is looking like a vessel, not actually functioning as a vessel. And the reason that we're not functioning, we never went through the fire. You would not go through any spiritual difficulty for the will of God for your life. And that's why we sit unready and unprepared for the Lord's return. I'll hurry. Paul said he takes pleasure in necessities and persecutions. Paul says, I'm going to go through the fire. He understood what God was doing with the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, oh, they went through the fire. And boy, God used them. Boy, God used them. They were a witness to an entire nation of people. Why? Because they're willing to go through the fire. Folks, we've gotten so fickle in 2022. Something hurts our feelings, we run off. We don't like certain things about something else, we run off. And we go hopscotch, you know. In the NBA, they call it player mobility. In churches, we call it member mobility. Preacher said something I didn't like. I would just encourage you. Why don't you just go ahead and go? Central Baptist Church needs people that will go through the fire. If God's going to use this church, we can't just look good. I'm thankful for our beautiful building that looks good. Man, we have great music, great programs. Hey, I'm glad for all that we have that looks good. But we need something that's functional, and something that's functional is something that's willing to go through the fire. Hey, if I'm going to be on a battlefield somewhere, some of you have been in the military, I want to be on the battlefield with somebody who's going to stick it out when the bullets start flying. That's who you want to be with. 
Not somebody that's going to hopscotch around and move around when things get tough. No. Hey, folks, let's be makeable this morning. Let's go through something for our faith. And then by chance, we just might be a useful vessel to the will of God before he returns. And one day you can sing the little song, I'm a little teacup. Short and stout. Some of you more stout than short, but we got to be makeable. we got to be makeable. Number one, we got to be moldable. Can I ask you this real quick? Are you moldable? Can God put his hands on your life right now and do whatever he wants? Can God move you? Can God change you? Are you mendable? If there, can I ask you this? Don't answer me out loud. Don't raise your hand. Don't shake your head. Don't elbow your spouse. If God would show you something in your life this morning that's marred your vessel, would you be willing to get rid of it? Would you be willing? It doesn't matter if you tell me. Remember, it's only what's good to the potter. It's not what's good to me. It's what's good to the potter. Would you be willing to let God take something out of your life? Are you mendable? Are you holding on to some bitterness, malice? Are you holding on to immorality? Is there a secret sin in your life? Look, you're not going to be ready if you don't be mendable. Why don't you let God change you today? What a blessing that he wants to make us again in something that's pleasing to him. And then finally, are you makeable? Won't you be willing to go through something for your faith? I've got too many, as my dad would say, flim-flam men out there in ministry. Too many Christians who are just bird bath deep. All it would take is just a little bit of persecution and you're going to quit on God and the will of God. Why don't you go through something? I want to be useful. I want to be valuable. I want to be beautiful to the will of God. I want people to be able to tell the master's had his hands all over my life. All right, then let him. Be moldable, be mendable, be makeable. Our heads are bowed. Let's stand together this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.